0: This message by Mike Pluniac was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Mike serves as a pastor at Cornerstone Church. Well good morning, welcome to Cornerstone. You can go ahead and grab your seats and open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. We're continuing our series on Galatians, Galatians 1, verse 11. And as you turn there, I want to introduce our text this morning by talking about fake news. Uh, Fake news has been one of the big headlines for the year. And I have wondered, I don't know if you thought this, but I've wondered, who is making up this fake news? Uh, Where is this coming from? I found an article by Craig Silverman, I think this is real news, in an article, but he's a journalist who for many years has written about uh, the accuracy or the inaccuracy in media. And he asked the same question I asked. He asked the question, where is this fake news coming from? And so he began to investigate. He looked at 19 major news sources and found behind them 50 websites that were notorious for publishing fake news. And so what he did is he took the 20 fake news stories that were the most successful, got the most traction, and he tracked down where they came from. And he asked the question, who was writing these stories? And this is what he found out, and this is fascinating that a majority of those very successful fake news stories were coming from a small town in Macedonia. That's the country north of Greece. I looked it up because I didn't know where it was. Macedonia is north of Greece. It's a small town of 40,000 people, and a majority of these fake news stories were coming from this small town. And so he traveled to this small town, and he began finding the people who were writing these stories. He tracked down the sources and what he found was a network of teenagers and college students who were smart enough to figure out what sensational stories Americans would click on, and they would share them in all these Facebook groups, and they would publish these stories, and they would put a Google ad or some ad on the side of the story, and they would get millions of clicks, and every person who clicked on the Google ad would put money right into their bank account. They said, the the kids, these teenagers writing these stories, making them up and publishing them, said they were even surprised when major American news outlets would pick up their stories and share them on the nightly news. So they said they they would be watching a clip of a nightly news channel and say, that's my story I wrote, you know? And their clicks would go up and money would go in the bank. Silverman interviewed one teen who was making a lot of money by sharing these stories, and he asked him if he was concerned that it was fake and not true, to which the teen replied, he knew it was false, but that's what works. That's what makes money. And and Craig Silverman says, check your sources, folks. In our text this morning, in Galatians 1, Paul is being accused of preaching fake news of selling a fake gospel. They are accusing him of creating it, of making it up, of spreading it, and of profiting from it. And so Paul wants them to check their source. And what he wants them to know is that Paul is not the source of the gospel that he preached to them. God is. It's not Paul's gospel. It's God's gospel. And there is no more powerful an authoritative source than God himself. And so Paul wants them to know where this gospel came from so that those who are saved by it will not drift from the grace that is in Christ. Paul did not invent the gospel. He was entrusted with it from God himself. He's telling him this is not fake news. Check your source. So look with me at Galatians 1, verse 11. We're going to read down through verse 24. This is what God's word says to us this morning. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. and who called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, who's Peter, And remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. You'll notice upon first reading of the text that this text is a defense. Paul is defending himself and how he received the gospel. And so it's helpful to have a little bit of background to understand that Paul is under attack and with him the gospel of Christ. So so the Galatians had formerly heard Paul's message and they believed the gospel. They received it. And now they're hearing a different message from a group of false teachers. So where Paul had come in and proclaimed Christ and his sacrifice once and for all for sins, Paul preached salvation was by grace through faith. And now these false teachers are coming in and they're accusing Paul of making a lot of this up. And mainly what they are accusing Paul of doing is lessening the requirements of the law because they said Paul just wants to please people. right? He didn't, he didn't want to tell the Gentiles they had to be circumcised and obey the law and these Old Testament regulations. They're accusing him of being a people pleaser, trying to grow his own brand. They're accusing Paul of making it easy for people to come into God's kingdom. These false teachers were known as Judaizers because they they sought to impose Judaism onto new Christian converts. They, They proclaimed a message similar to Acts 15 verse 1, which says, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was their message. And Paul loves the Galatians. And so he defends himself and how he received the gospel because of his concern for them. Because it's not just Paul that's under attack. not just that Paul cares about himself, but because the gospel is at stake. They are attacking salvation by grace through faith. And so Paul has to defend how he received the gospel. So the first thing he wants them to know, point number one, is is it's God's gospel. It's God's gospel. God is the source. You can investigate it, trace it back, and you will find God at the source. Look down with me at verse 11. This is his point. This is his main point. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel is, that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This seems to be one of the main reasons Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia. Look look back at verse 1. He begins with this. Even Paul, he says, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's not because of any man, because anything any man taught him, any person said to him, it's from God and through Jesus Christ. And so he answers the question, where did Paul get the gospel? Look at verse 12. He wants them to know, I did not receive it from any man. Okay, I wasn't called by man, nor through man. I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it by any man, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul received this gospel from a direct revelation of Christ. And if you go back and read Acts chapter 9, which is Paul's conversion story on the road to Damascus, you might notice that that Jesus doesn't preach the gospel to Paul. Okay, We know the gospel is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to save sinners like us. Jesus doesn't preach the gospel to Paul. He appears to Paul in His glory. And Paul, when he sees the shining light and he sees the glory of God, he asks the, 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 the voice that he hears in this light, he says, who are you, Lord? To which he hears the reply, I am Jesus. Okay, so how, how did Paul get the gospel that salvation is by grace through faith alone, in Christ alone? Presumably, Paul had heard some of the facts about Jesus of Nazareth before his conversion, but he rejected them because they sounded like blasphemy. So Paul had heard of the crucifixion, okay? In fact, Paul probably was in Jerusalem for the Passover when Jesus was crucified. He knew Jesus of Nazareth had been crucified. Being a student of the Pharisees, Paul probably knew about the trial of Jesus, about his condemnation, by the Jews for his claim to be God. He had heard the rumblings of the resurrection, that these disciples of the crucified Jesus were were growing in number in Jerusalem and beyond. And they're making this claim that he who was crucified is now alive and was with God. And it angered Paul to hear these reports. None of these things were hidden from Paul. He knew the facts of the gospel, but they were a stumbling block to him. You might remember where Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It appears that Paul was one who stumbled over it himself. Just simply couldn't believe that God would send a crucified Messiah. He stumbled over the cross. He didn't believe. He didn't, he heard all these facts, but he did not believe them until Jesus appeared to him. And he asked, who is this Lord? Who has this glory? And Jesus says, I am Jesus. And then Paul knew it was all true. He thought the gospel was blasphemy, but when he beheld Christ in his glory, he knew it was true. He knew the details of the gospel, but he needed a revelation of Jesus to believe. And once he knew that Jesus was God in his glory, it all came together for him. I mean, look at the the first thing Paul begins to tell people. As soon as he becomes a Christian, this is in Acts Nine, the second half of verse 19 and 20. It says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Gets converted, goes into Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. That's what, that's what Paul knew. You can almost hear him saying he, he is the son of God. He He is the Lord. He is God. I thought He wasn't. I thought it was blasphemy. I thought it was a lie. But He is the Son of God. You can hear the historical facts about Jesus. His teaching and His miracles. The crucifixion and the resurrection. And you can remain unchanged. It takes a revelation from the Holy Spirit to enlighten our eyes the eyes of our heart to the realities of the gospel. And when he does, when God fills us with his spirit, changes our heart, converts us, makes us born again to a living hope, we see this is God's gospel. It's not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. This is not from any man or through any man. This is about the Lord himself, the Son of God. This is what Philip Ryken says. He says the gospel is not man's good news about God. It is God's good news for man. This is God's message to you. It's God's gospel. Many people read the Bible or they try to read the Bible and receive it as man's word. But to receive it as God's word is supernatural and it's a miracle of God's sovereign grace. When he opens our eyes to behold Jesus in his glory, we hear his word as being from God. It goes from our Bibles being about God to our Bibles being a word from God. We open our Bibles, it goes from us saying, you know, I want to hear what this person says about God to I want to hear what God has to say to me this morning. I wanna hear what God has to say to me. This is God's word and God's gospel and Paul is defending it. This is not man's gospel. It is God's. It belongs to him. It's his message to us and we need supernatural power to receive it. Jonathan Edwards, who was a, a, he was a product of the reformation we've been talking about. He was the son of a pastor and was taught the gospel from birth. Uh, He doesn't remember a time where he didn't hear the gospel. He grew up hearing the truth about Jesus, but he also lived in great dread of God. He said he really didn't want to know God. He was afraid of God. He had heard of God's sovereignty, and, and it made him fearful of God, even though he knew the facts of the gospel. He recounts reading the scriptures one day, and coming to 1 Timothy 1.17, which says to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And this is what Jonathan Edwards said happened to him as he read this text. He said, as I read the words, there came into my soul and was, as it were, diffused through it a sense of the glory of the divine being. A new sense quite different from anything I ever experienced before. Never any words of scripture seemed to me as these words did. I thought with myself how excellent a being that was and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up to him in heaven and be, as it were, swallowed up in him forever. I kept saying and as it were, singing over these words of scripture to myself and went to pray to God that I might enjoy him and prayed in a manner quite different from what I used to do with a new sort of affection. He was born again. The Holy Spirit revealed the truth to him. He got it. There was revelation from God's word. This, this is God's message to us of how we can know him and be reconciled to him and born again. It is God's gospel. And the Judaizers do not have the right to change it or to add to it. This is God's word, God's message. And Paul defends it. Uh, recently, I'm, I'm rereading a book I read many years ago, Graham Goldsworthy book, uh, Gospel and Kingdom. It's, it's a wonderful book. And one of the points he makes is how often we read the scriptures and we make it all about us, what we, what we must do for God. And he tells the story of a children's pastor sharing the story of David and Goliath and how this pastor gets these guys to dress up and act out this story. And so he talks about the children's pastor, reads the story of David and Goliath, and then he gets this really big, ugly guy in the church, you know, to come out, and he's in this armor, and he's got this breastplate. And he said that across his chest, he had these pieces of cardboard. And one by one, as the pastor is talking, the guy would rip off these pieces of cardboard, and they were all these sins that children would wrestle with. So one was lying, and one was stealing, and one was being disrespectful. And the pastor said, these are all the Goliaths in your life that you have to overcome. And then he had this young, strapping young man dressed like David, and he came out with a sling, and he had five stones. And on these five stones, the pastor said, he had these words of obedience and service Bible reading, prayer, and fellowship, and he would sling the stones at Goliath, and it would destroy one of these sins. And you may be thinking, that's pretty creative. Why don't you guys do stuff like that? That's great. Like, have people come up, act it out, you know? That sounds pretty great. The point is not of that story, how we overcome our Goliaths by obeying God. The point is not David at all. It's not his courage or his action. It's his trust in God the point is that God will use his anointed king to deliver his people. We're not David in the story. We're the Israelites over there cowering and hiding and fearful because we can do nothing to save ourselves. And God chooses a king and sends him to deliver us and rescue us. That's the point of the story. God's message to us is not primarily what we what we must do for him but it's what he has already done for us in Christ it's God's gospel and when Paul heard Jesus he got it he realized this is true God sent a Messiah himself he entered into the flesh And he died for my sins. It's not about obeying the law. It's not by works or keeping the law. It's through Christ. It's through his sacrifice that we are forgiven. It's by his blood that we are healed. It's his righteousness that makes us right with God, not my own. I've been striving this whole time and doing all these things, but he's done it for me already in Christ. It's God's gospel. And we do not have the freedom to change it, manipulate it, alter it, add to it, subtract from it, modify it, or tamper with God's gospel. Our job is to receive it and to pass it on to others as it is. This is what God calls us to. This is what Paul is defending. It is not man's gospel. It's God's gospel. The world is Tells us that to be a true success, you have to create something that is truly original. That's not true. To be successful, what you have to do is receive God's gospel and believe it and pass it on. That is true success in God's eyes. It's his word. It's his message. It's not man's gospel. It's God's gospel. Point number two God's surprising call. God's surprising call. From here in our text, Paul is going to give us his alibis of how he did not invent or receive this from any man. He didn't make this up. He's the least likely candidate to be preaching a gospel like this. It is surprising. It's surprising is what he lets them know. And so Paul's gonna give us three alibis for his defense of this being not man's gospel, but God's gospel. His first alibi is his former life. We see this in verses 13 through 16. Look down at verses 13 and 14 with me. This is what he says. He says, for you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was from the Pharisaic school, which had 613 prescriptions to follow, 248 positive ones, and 300 and 65 prohibitions. They had the, the written law in the Old Testament, but they went further and they had all these regulations on top of those. It's what set the Pharisees apart. They were zealous for the law, and Paul was good at it. And so, in one sense, it's like Paul is reminding these Galatians that he knows all about these Judaizers and that he would have destroyed them when it came to obeying the law. He was more zealous than they would ever be. He was so zealous that he persecuted the church violently trying to destroy it. Saul was not an apathetic spectator as Stephen was killed. He was not an indifferent bystander. He was aggressive. Acts 9 tells us that he went to the high priest and he asked him if he could go and get all of those who were of the way, followers of Christ, men and women, and bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. He was aggressive. He didn't care if they were men or women. He wanted to destroy them. So here's the question. Why would he, of all people, suddenly join them? It's like Paul is saying, think about this. Think, Galatians, wake up. Why would I join them? By man's standards, if you would have posted a job listing for apostle to the Gentiles on ZipRecruiter, Saul, zealous persecutor of the church, would not have been a viable candidate, right? Why is Paul telling them this? He's, He's recounting this because you can't make this stuff up. Paul would never have chosen this life for himself if God had not chosen it for him. And so Paul recounts his personal testimony to show them how utterly absurd the accusation is that he came up with a message about a crucified Messiah and began preaching it to the Gentiles. Paul is now preaching the gospel, the very gospel he had once tried to destroy. And I don't think anyone was as surprised as Paul was. This had to be from God. That's what he's telling him. This, this has to be God. There's no other explanation if God hadn't done this. Look down at verse 15. He says, not only was this God, but if you look at the origins of his faith, it went beyond the road to Damascus. It was before that. Verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born. This was God's plan all along. Before Saul was born, God had set him apart. And this is a very clever phrase from Paul because these false teachers thought that what set them apart was obeying the law. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I was set apart long before I did anything to set myself apart. It was God who set me apart and he did that even before I was born. Listen to this. Quote by Charles Spurgeon in his defense of Calvinism. He says, I believe the doctrine of election because I'm quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. Are you surprised by God's grace and call on your life? I'm surprised. I'm shocked. Think about my life and I think this is not what I would have chosen to do apart from God's grace. Being surprised creates a heart of gratitude and a constant thankfulness to God. And Paul is so surprised, he's telling them, I didn't make this up. Trust me. I didn't get this from any man. It doesn't even make sense for you to accuse me of that because I hated the church, but God chose me before I was born. That's his first alibi, his former life. His second alibi is he didn't go to other Christians. He didn't get this from any man. Look at the end of verse 16 down through verse 19. He says, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. This is very important that they get this point. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years or in the third year, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. And I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. He's telling them in verse 17 that his first stop after he had this revelation of Jesus was not to Jerusalem, but he went to Arabia and back to Damascus. It's in Damascus where the governor was guarding the city in order to seize Paul and where he was let down through a basket and a window so he could escape the city. And, and you have to ask, why were they trying to arrest him? Well, it's probably for the same reason everybody else wanted to. He was preaching the gospel of free grace, which means he was preaching this long before he went to Jerusalem. And he tells them it was after three years that he saw the apostles, only two of them, because they were still afraid of Paul. You remember, they they were trying to bring Paul into the apostles, and they were afraid of him. They thought this was a trick. Not only was Paul surprised by his conversion— But they were surprised by his conversion, so much so that these guys who were fishermen and called and just doubters the whole time, they're doubting Paul, right? They don't trust him. They think it's a trick. They think for three years he's been acting this to infiltrate their ranks. They don't trust him. Peter, Peter will spend 15 days with him. Peter's outside the box a little bit, but the rest of them, they hide from Paul. They're afraid of him. And so he's telling them, listen, this doesn't make any sense This was surprising to me. The apostles didn't even want to be with me. It was surprising to them. And then finally, his third alibi is that he didn't get this from the church. Verses 21 through 24. You just see, he's building this case, right? He's building this case. He didn't didn't know them. That's what he says. Uh, You know, I was still, in verse 22, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea. That are in Christ. He says, I didn't know them. They didn't know me, but they were hearing about me. I was surprised. The apostles were surprised. The church was surprised. And what they were saying in verse 23 they were hearing this report that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And I love verse 24 and they glorified God because of me. What's the response of God's surprising call? It's God's glory. That's what God was doing behind the scenes when Paul, before he was born, was being set apart before his birth. God knowing that he would study the law, understand the law, be a Pharisee, who if anyone could claim himself righteous before God by the law, it was this one, Paul. I'm going to set him apart. I'm going to let him live like this. I'm going to let him persecute my church, and then I'm going to reveal myself to him. I'm going to save him by grace, and he's going to be the one who goes to preach the gospel to the Gentiles because no one is going to believe any other explanation besides it was me doing it the whole time, and I'm going to get all the glory. And that's what we see happening. The churches, they're glorifying God. They're going is there an explanation for this besides God is amazing and glorious and merciful and powerful and no one is beyond his reach? The one who hated us the most is now preaching faith to us. Glory be to God. All of this, the gospel, the revelation, God revealing his son to Paul, the surprising call on Paul's life, it's all meant to glorify God. It's God's gospel for God's glory, not for man's boasting. It's not man's gospel, it's God's gospel. Religions that human beings invent always end up glorifying human beings. You ever notice that? They always end up glorifying human beings. Some law to keep where we can boast in our performance, some ritual to perform that we can put our hope in, some state of consciousness to achieve, some pillars to perform that make us think we can earn our way to God and overcome our sin. It's all meant to boast in ourselves. Christianity is different. It's about what God has done for us in Christ. It gives God all the glory because it leaves no room for human boasting. Our boast is in Jesus Christ and him crucified and there is no other explanation. It doesn't teach us that we can earn our way to heaven. It teaches us that God has come down to earth to us to save us. And so Paul wants them to know, listen, this is not man's gospel. You cannot boast in what you've done. You cannot earn your way to heaven. This is God's gospel. It is surprising. It is glorious. It is for His glory. Wake up, Galatians. These teachers are deceiving you. This is not man's gospel. It's God's gospel. Wake up. Do not desert this gospel because it's God's. This is God's word to us. So all of this, these alibis, this defense is because Paul wants them to be confident in the gospel. It's from God. It's true. It's not fake news. It is real. And just one point of application as I prayed and studied this text this week and is so encouraging those prophetic words. I feel like the Holy Spirit was already saying this to us this morning, but have confidence in God's gospel beyond a shadow of a doubt. Listen, for those who doubt, which, which honestly is probably all of us at various times in our life, we're all tempted to doubt at times. We all have these questions, is this real? Did God really say this? Has God really done this? Have I really been changed? still have this sin, I wrestle with this again, am I really born again? There's these moments we have where doubt enter in, and we constantly need to be reminded that God can be trusted, that God is trustworthy. When we are prone to doubt, we need to rehearse the gospel again and again. The value of doubt is that if our doubt is answered, it strengthens our faith we end up knowing God deeper. So don't just sit there in doubt or let it dictate your life. Let it drive you to answers. Okay, I'm questioning. I'm wondering, is this real? Did God really do this? Is this what God really said? Let that drive you to answers and you will find, no, God is trustworthy. It's his gospel. It is true. And I just want to encourage you. If you wrestle with doubt, you are in the right place. You are doing the right thing. Doubt should drive you to church, not from church, because every, every single week we are going to proclaim the truth of the gospel. We're going to rehearse the gospel together. When you are stuck in doubt and you're questioning and you're fighting and you're struggling and you have a hard time even opening God's word because there's so much doubt, listen, come here We will open God's word for you. We will read it to you. We will proclaim it to you. You are in the right place. Go to church and you will find a trustworthy God and a true gospel. That's why we're preaching Galatians. That's why we're celebrating this in the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, because they came back to the true gospel. No more works, no adding these works and these indulgences and these things onto our faith. Let's go back to what God says. It's God's gospel. Let's believe it and receive it and let it stir our hearts. Let's proclaim it to each other. Let it stir our faith. Let it build us up. We're tempted to doubt. And when we are, we must come back to God's gospel and let it build our faith and remind us it's not what we do for God. It's what God has already done for us in Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank, you for, I thank You for preserving this gospel through Your Word. As I think back about church history, so many men and women who fought the good fight of faith so this morning we could open Your Word and hear good news from you to us. And so I pray for those who came in this morning wrestling with doubt, wrestling to trust you and your sovereignty and your goodness and your promises. And I pray this morning that you would fill them with confidence, just as Austin shared that prophetic word, just that word sure, that they would be sure of what Christ has done for them today. They would not doubt, but they would say, there's many things I don't know, but what I know is Christ died for my sins, and he rose again, and I am a new creation in Christ. So send your spirit, speak to them this morning through your word, Father. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Mike Pluniac, given during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us on the web at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in celebrating God's grace and pursuing God's purpose.